It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It is 6.08 on a Saturday morning. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, here to help you be more successful in your garden, your landscape, your lawn, your flowers, your indoor plants, your poinsettias, your paper white narcissuses. Well, well, more of that. We're talking again about, let's talk more about gardening. What about gardening? If you want to talk about gardening, 404-872-0750. What about that? I know somebody who wants to talk about gardening, and I know where she lives. She lives in Griffin, Georgia, our friend Nicole. Nicole, hey, good morning. Mr. Reeves. You wanted to talk about camellias. We only have about two minutes here, but I uh, actually noted that you wanted to talk about camellias, too, this morning. Yes, I saw some really nice camellias this year because the bloom is big and just really vibrant. I have one that's candy cane. I have one that uh, it's pink. I don't like the bloom, but I'm stuck with it. (laughs) But the other one is candy cane. It's bright pink and white. And, uh, boy, they're just showing big time to yeah. everywhere. Yeah, my friend Lyle Collins, who runs a landscape, a very nice landscape company called Trillium uh, Landscaping, and Lyle posted a picture the other day of two of his favorite, one of which was White by the Gate. And I remember my colleague Teresa Strum, who was here before Ashley screening calls, and Teresa always would talk about her White by the Gate camellia about this time of year and say how gorgeous and beautiful that white, pure white flower was. The inside is yellow? I, uh, my memory is no, there's not much yellow in there. It was not noticeable particularly. It was all white, just a pure white. Gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous flower. I think they benefit a lot uh, if they have uh, a lot of moisture all summer. Mm-hmm. Probably so. Probably so. Just so you have, have a very nice environment this year, and a lot of people have had, I think, great success. The, certainly the fall bloom season for camellias this year has been long, and as you say, you're still seeing a lot of them right now, and a few buds will drop off on this cold weather, and when the sasanquas are finished, then the japonica camellias will start, if they have it already, which some of them have, and the japonicas then will bloom from now on through April. Some of the late ones, I guess, will bloom through April. It's a remarkably good shrub. More people should have camellias. They have different sizes, different colors. Great plant. Bring them bring them inside. Yeah, bring them inside for the holiday. That's a great thing to do. Nicole, i got to get out of here. It's so wonderful talking to you. Happy holidays. Right back at you. Enjoy your day. We'll see you next Saturday. Comes now, let's see, Charles in Duluth, who joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Charles, good morning. Good morning. Um, I've got some uh, peonies. I want to uh, dig up some and give to some friends mm-hmm. and also uh, the other part of the question is in last spring uh, some of the bulb, some of the uh, buds were got sort of brown and someone said that was some kind of fungus and they said I needed to do something like that there mm-hmm. um, systemic you know to, yeah. to prevent it but in any event I just want to know if there are any gotchas anything I should do or not do? Do they need to be planted right away? That sort of thing? Yeah, I think now's a great time to to move them around, frankly, Charles, because the leaves are all gone, and uh, the root system is just sitting there 
not doing much of anything really during the winter time. And so if the clump is not terribly big, um, hopefully you can just dig the whole thing up, sort of explore around the edges and uh, try to get as much of the root system intact and maybe even in some of the same soil without loosening it too much that it's growing in now. And if you have a prepared bed somewhere else where you want to move it to that has nice soft soil in it, you just sort of dig a hole in the middle and flop it down in there, and that peony wakes up in the spring and doesn't even know where it was. It's happy to be in the new place. So there's not many gotchas uh, for you other than try to get as much as you can. Do you need to divide it, or what do you think, Charles? Yeah, I'd, uh, I'm, I'm not going to move it. I thought I'd just take some okay. away from right. the plant. And and give it to some friends. Good. All right. to, in that I'm, case, I'm not going to replant them. They're going to replant them. It's a better way to do it. Always, I think. <laughs> Let your friends do the do the digging. Um, so uh, in that case. What I would do is, uh, this is a pretty nice time to do it because the soil is relatively dry, and you dig up the clump again, as I described, and put it onto a work table outside in the carport, in the garage, or someplace like that, and let it dry for a day or two, just a day or two, so that the soil has a chance to get a little more crumbly and it falls away from the roots a little more easily, and then shake it real good, just shake, 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 shake it real good to get all the dirt off the uh, roots as best you can. And when you do that, you'll see that there are various, what I would call centers or clumps or pieces of the plant that look sort of separate from other pieces of the plant. And those are the parts that can be divided off. You get a little serrated steak knife from Goodwill and go in there and sort of saw off the little connection between the clump and the mother and the adjacent clumps. And you can get two, three, four, five maybe little individual plants and um, each one about the size of a fist, I'm guessing, have some roots on it as well. And give those to your friends with instructions to give a nice sunny bed. Some afternoon shade wouldn't hurt my feelings much, but so sunny in the morning, afternoon shade maybe. And plant it so that the buds, the little pink things you'll find as you dig it up, those buds right close to the soil surface, if not right at the soil surface, so that it gets nice and cold during the wintertime. So it's all right to, to, to dig them up and let them dry out for a day or two? Yeah, right now. Right now is fine. Yeah, yeah. And as far as so the the, the bud, I think will take care of the fungus. Yeah, let's talk about that. When you say the bud, did you mean the flower or the buds coming out of the ground? Which yeah, no, the, yeah. Well, the buds and the flower, the yeah. the uh, yeah. the petals and everything just turn brown. Yeah, they get that's a disease. It's called botrytis, and it's pretty common on peonies. One of the good organic ways of helping to control it is to be good with sanitation, meaning you rake all the leaves away, take them away, don't leave them around underneath the plant each fall. And uh, it wouldn't be bad to maybe tell your friends um, that this is a possibility on the plants that you give to them, and maybe get a bottle to share of garden fungicide that you can spray onto the buds when they're real little, when they're just sort of peeking up and about the size of a marble or a little bit bigger in the spring. Uh, spray the buds then with fungicide, and then once they're just beginning to open, spray again to get some of the fungicide down into the petals of the flower. If you do two sprays with a nice garden fungicide, I think they'll be pretty clean, pretty nice, and sanitized every year. All good. Will the bare, uh, the systemic, will that work? Yeah, sure will. Sure will. Okay. All right. Is that, is, that as, that, is that as good as spraying it? I think that would do fine. Spraying, I don't have any research to back that up either way. My leaning, I guess, Charles, is frankly to spray. 
a sprayable fungicide, okay. I think, might be better because you got to get into the petals. And systemics are typically they go to the stem and the leaves of a plant, but they don't much go into the flowers of a plant. So I think spraying probably is better. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Happy holidays, Charles. Thanks for calling. Bill is in Williamson, Georgia, and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Bill, good morning. Good morning, Walter. Um, I have a new way of, at least for me, it's a new way of getting rid of uh, yellow jackets that are non-toxic, if you want to talk about talk it. Talk to me. I'm yeah, 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 yeah. I have a question about elephant ears. Yeah. I've got them contained in a, um, half barrels, and they've already been nipped back. And I needed to know, should could I put them underneath a screen porch that has cinder blocks around it, or should I put them in the crawl space? You mean the elephant ear in the barrel? You want to keep yeah, them in the barrel? Yeah, I would think unless, again, I just invoked Kirk's name, if it turns out really cold, then I would still, though, underneath the screen porch and concrete blocks around it, it's not going to be that cold underneath there. Man, if it were down to 10 degrees, I'd start worrying. Uh, if it's in the normal 20 degree, even in the high teens, I don't think you're going to have a problem, Bill. With the crawl space, uh, uh, the screen porch or I cinder think blocks? Screen porches, the space. cinder block walls are going to hold a good bit of heat, and the earth you know, is going to emit a good bit of heat down there. Not a lot. It's not going to be toasty or anything like that, but it's not going to get down way cold enough for elephant ear, I don't think. Okay. You guess. want to know about the yellow jacket? Non-toxic. Talk to me. Uh, well, and again, you you may have already done this, but you know the uh, glass containers they have that looks like a beehive that you put sugar water oh, in? Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. Okay, I took the large one. You have to be careful because one time I ordered some that were, ended up being small, like six inches, uh-huh. but it's the large one I put sugar water in it, and at night I went out and put it directly over the hole right. of the yellow jackets, and within two to three days... The, it was filled up with hundreds and hundreds of uh, yellow jackets, and um, the nest became inactive. Inactive, inactive. Great idea, Bill. Let me tell people that you can get these yellow jacket traps, either plastic or glass. You can usually get them online. I don't see them many places around town. There's another one. I have another technique that uses a piece of tuna fish that's <laughs> held above a little saucer of uh, canola oil, and another one using sus- Similar track to what you're talking about there, Bill. But all these are on my website, and yours works fine, and that works well for the non-toxic crowd, sure. Well, let's go out of here. You're listening to Lawn and Garden. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellis weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves and the lawn and garden advice you need. This is Lawn and Garden, our phone number 404-872-0750, 404-872-0750. Going to the phones right now, you bet right now Cheryl is in Ellenwood, and Cheryl joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey Cheryl, good morning. Good morning, how are you? I'm pretty I was well. Wondering, that's good. I was wondering, when is it too late to plant? Um, shrubs and trees and maybe like camellias and gardenia radigans and if you did it right, Cheryl, there's probably not a day of the year that you couldn't attempt to plant most everything. I mean, July 4th you could plant things, but it's a lot harder in July because the plants demand so much water and those little root systems in the pot 
typically are not big enough quite to supply the water that they need when a shrub is in the ground. So July 4th is not the recommended time. The better time starts in mid-September on through about mid-March. Those are That's a pretty good time. The better time earlier in the September-ish uh, time frame and the little less good, I guess, would be in March. So to answer your question, if you want to plant something right now, Ellen, oh, Cheryl, I mean, in Ellenwood, I'm not going to argue with you. You'll have success. Keep it watered, and particularly the things that have green leaves like gardenias and hollies and things like that. Be sure you water those once or twice during the winter because they will dry out. They will dry out in the winter. Okay. Thank you. Now's the time. And one of the things you can do to help them along, Cheryl, go run by a pike and get a uh, product they call Sure Start. It's a very, very slow release fertilizer that you can put in the ground when you dig your uh, the hole, put these shrubs in, once you sort of untangle the roots on the things that you're putting into the ground. Put some Sure Start in the ground around them, put the shrub in the ground, put the dirt around the root ball of the shrub. And the Sure Start helps a little bit to get the whole plant off to a good, good, good growth spurt when it's starting out next spring. But again, watering during the wintertime. Do not forget this. You'll think it's sort of dumb to be out watering your gardenia and your holly during December, January, but you need to do it. Go a couple of weeks, or a couple of gallons every week is what I meant to say. A couple of gallons every week should be about right. Okay, thank you. You bet, Cheryl. Good luck with it. Bye-bye. Thanks for calling. All right. We got to go with more Lawn and Garden right after news. Have you got it to get it? If so, how often would you choose a hard or soft option? It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. 636 on a Saturday morning. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, and I'm here to make you happy, or make you successful, which should make you happy in your landscape. we got Pam in Snellville joining us on Lawn and Garden. Pam, hey, good morning. Hi, Walter. How are you? Hey, Pam. I'm fine. What's up? Um, I, have a, uh, I have a row of crepe myrtles in the back of my screen porch, mm-hmm. and uh, last early spring we had uh, Asian ambrosia beetles on one of those trunks, mm-hmm. and uh, we sprayed it with the... Uh, Actually, the yard spray and what we dip the dogs in with pyrethrin in it, <laughs> and <laughs> it worked. They went away, okay. and uh, uh, you know the tree bloomed beautifully, had great leaves and everything. But this fall, we've got mushrooms growing on one of the trunks. Yeah, and uh, that you know these crepe myrtles are multi-trunked, and it just seems to be one trunk. Can we just cut that one trunk off and save the rest of the land? One word answer. Yes, you can. Oh, right. Yes, you can. And is this area where the mushroom, is it above or below where the Asian ambrosia beetle toothpicks it's were? right at the same spot. Right at the same spot. Well, that sort of makes sense to me because the damage that the Asian ambrosia beetle does to a crepe myrtle is they introduce fungus into their little boring holes where they mm-hmm. theoretically are going to feed their babies once they hatch out. Right. And uh, other fungi, bigger bigger mushroomed fungi can get into those holes and decompose the trunk in there where the borer has bored. And then when it gets happy, the mushroom comes out 
And it all makes sense to me in my head here. So, but again, the bottom line answer is yes. Got to saw out, cut it off, be done with it. It's not gonna not gonna be any harm to the tree to do that, nor will okay. it uh, live any further than this point in its life. Okay, great. Well, can we do it now? It's dark. I don't know if I'd do it right now, but if you well, want to no, go I mean, outside, <laughs> if you want to go outside this right afternoon, here in the winter. I mean, I don't have to wait till February to no. do it at all. No, 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 no. Winter time is okay. fine. Winter time okay. is fine. All right, great. All well, right. thank you, Walter. I enjoy your show. Well, I love thank it. you, Pam. I do, too. I do, too. Thanks for calling. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> we'll see All you. Right. Bye-bye. Chris is indicator and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Chris, good morning. Morning, Walter. How the heck are you? How the heck? I'm doing great, Chris. What's going on? Well, I'm out walking Herschel, my dog, you know, and yes, we walk sir. by these neighbor's houses. A lot of them have a, it looks like short-haired Liriope. I know short hair is the wrong thing to say, but... Right. It, this was like a, some of them have leary oak that's been mowed, yeah, and then some of them have leary oak that just looks like it grows short, yeah. And that's, so is that a is that a brand I can buy? <laughs> it's not a brand per se. Oh. It's a type of leary oak cousin. Let's call it leary oak cousin. It's a mondo grass is the name of it. Mondo M O N D O mondo grass, oh, uh-huh. deep uh-huh. deep green. And as you point out, some folks will put it in their lawn. You're talking to a guy right now who's putting it in his back lawn where the <laughs> trees are shading out my St. Augustine. Uh-huh. And uh, I hire teenagers during the summer, during the winter sometimes. They have nothing better to do than go in my backyard and dig it out of a clump I have in one corner and spread the pieces of Mondo around the rest of my lawn back there. So it looks uh-huh. great. It only requires mowing once or twice. There are people I know of in Atlanta have pictures of their lawns that have been done for oh, five years, I guess. It's complete Mondo grass throughout, deep green, all year long, mow it twice, done with it. It's tedious to I'm get it started. About. Yeah, that's what you're talking about. That's yeah. the stuff right there. <laughs> One and done, yeah. Um, so to... Quite honestly, mondo grass grows in people's yards that don't want it. And so if you're at any social gathering this wintertime, ask people. Just put a note you know, with your name and phone number on it and ask people, do you have any mondo grass? How about giving me a call? Some yeah. of them are going to say, yeah, I got some back in the back. You want it, you got it. And you take a shovel, <laughs> dig it up, divide it into little pieces, put it in the ground, and within four or five years, you're going to have solid green. Excellent. Thank you, sir. You're a great mayor. Mondo, mondo, mondo grass. That's exactly what we want, Chris. Mondo. Appreciate it. You got it. Thanks for calling. Let's go to Wayne in Watkinsville. Wayne, join us on Lawn and Garden, please. Hey, man, good morning. Good morning, Walter. What's going on? I have a gardenia. Actually, I got two gardenias in a corner of a little outbuilding that I have. and uh, They were all right, but there was a magnolia tree about 10 feet away, Yeah, maybe 15 and it's grew and shaded it over so bad that those gardenias are not getting in the sun. Got it. And I need to move them, and I'd like to know the best way to move them and when to move them. How tall did you say they were, Wayne? The gardenias are very small. They're, they just kind of stunted, I'd say, three foot. Three foot. You're easy, 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 easy. Now, between now and February, does that give you a long enough time to make up your mind and get outside? Okay. All right. Between now and February... Go okay. outside. I don't think you even need to do much pruning back at all. Go around the plant about oh, a foot and a half, maybe, from the trunk of each plant, and make a big circle with your shovel. You know, jab the jab the shovel deeply into the ground, and go then sort of slant it. You know how to do this. You slant the shovel a little bit under the plant, about a foot. You aim the the shovel down about a foot underneath the trunk of the plant, and pop it up out of the ground. 
and move it to wherever you want to that's not in the shade. So does that need any preparation in the ground that, that it's going to? They're going to be a lot happier if you do. If you do, uh, Wayne, want to prepare it, make them happy, get some, just go to a nursery and say, I need some soil conditioner. And usually it's ground up pine bark, ground up wood chips or something like that that you put into the ground. And typically what I will tell people is about a layer of inch, two inches, two inches would be fine. Two inches would be great. So in the area where you're going to plant a gardenia or a bunch of gardenias, put a layer of this soil conditioner stuff, two inches thick on the ground, dig it in real nicely. The ground will look really, really soft. And the gardenias, when they wake up next spring and are, are, are ready to do some growth and some root growth, will look around and say, man, Wayne, you have done us well. This is fabulous soil to grow in. They'll grow. They'll be in the sun. They'll bloom. And you'll be proud of yourself. Uh, well, the year before last, I called you about a fig tree. Sir, yes, sir. And, and, was, uh, and I transplanted it. I followed your instructions. The, the fig tree did well where I put it now, last year it didn't do anything as far as production of figs this year yeah. it had uh, a lot of figs but they only got very small they never did really many of them get ripened and I'm wondering about fertilization or pruning anything in particular I need to do that thing you know the symptoms you're describing are of a juvenile fig and what that means is if you either prune it severely or if you fertilize heavily or I guess those are the two main things right there that shock a fig back into its juvenile growth form where it's trying to grow real fast after pruning or grow real fast after fertilizing. So if you can leave it where it is at the size that it is right now, Wayne, you'll be a lot happier and the fig will be a lot happier just to leave it alone and let it grow and it was much more likely to have good figs, a good crop on it this coming season. All right. Uh, right. Can I have time for one quick question more? Uh, you know, i got about a minute and a half, All and right. if I go to my other callers, they'll take more than a minute and a half. So, Wayne, let's go for a minute and a half. Go for it. Okay. I have a blackberry vine and a plum bush that's mm. within 10 feet apart. Yeah. Uh, and I was wondering about fertilization on those things. Uh, they were given to me this past summer. Yeah. And I put them out, and the blackberry vine just shot over the trellis. <laughs> it stroked pretty good. And uh, the plum bush has also what I was wondering about fertilization on those things. Rule of thumb, rule of thumb, always prune or fertilize. I mean, fertilize a plant when it's about to initiate vigorous growth. And wintertime is not the vigorous growth time of either plum or blackberry or fig. And so you fertilize if you are going to fertilize anything, do it in March, late March, maybe would be a good time. And you can put down. 101010, you can do one of the uh, fertilizers, branded fertilizers from a nursery. Any of those work fine, but before the plant does its vigorous growth, that's when you fertilize. Walter, thank you so much, and I enjoy your program. Wayne, it's my pleasure to be of service to you. Thanks for calling. Thank you. John is on, well, John's somewhere around Atlanta right now. Hey, John, good morning. Good morning. How are you this hey, morning? Hey, Johnny, I'm fine. What's going on? I live up in Suchus in the mountain region. And I have an area on the side of my hill mm -hmm. that I had to excavate yeah. because it was eroding real bad. Yeah. And what what I'm needing to know is what can I plant there now that would help with the soil erosion? Nothing. Nothing? Yeah. Just I have specialized for the past two or three weeks, uh, John, in answering people's questions with one word, no, yes, in your case, nothing. Um, if it was eroding before, it is going to continue to erode now, even though you may have made the slope not quite as steep as it was before. 
there is probably not a bit of topsoil on that slope. And unless you really, really go in there and amend areas to plant a shrub or something that maybe can hold the ground a little bit, nothing's going to grow there now. Um, grasses might take hold, but grasses are going to have a hard time growing perennially there. And right now in such it's cold up there, John, in case you haven't been outside yeah, this morning. Yeah, it's cold. Yeah. <laughs> and seeds don't germinate in cold weather, so planting grasses and seeds this time of year is not going to be successful. Planting shrubs could be successful if they have a nice brown, earthy, loose, organic soil to uh, grow in on the little pockets that you make in the side of the of the slope there, but the first big rain and such is, and all of it washes down to the street, including the shrub that you plant. So to be honest, John, your solution is mostly mechanical. you got to figure out how you can make rows of uh, rocks around the uh, face of the slope to hold the soil back to keep erosion from happening. And farmers have done it up there in North Georgia for thousands, well, not thousands, but hundreds anyway, of years. And you've yeah. seen the... Uh, I, I've, I've done that. I, yeah. I have it to where, I mean, it's almost flat there now. If you got some flat, then we can talk. So, but... Plants cannot be, in general, plants cannot be relied upon to hold soil on a slope unless it's a very, very gentle slope. So if I were planting, and it would be shrubbery again, not grass right now. Let me think. Let me think up there and such is what I could plant if you wanted a couple of things up there. You know, Virginia sweet spire would be a plant that slowly suckers and moves uh, roots around. So there's a plant called Virginia sweet spire, Itea, some people call it, and it would grow really nice. It has pretty little white flowers. So if you go to a nursery and say, I want some Itea, they would uh, know what you're talking about. Um, do you have much access to woods that you own, John, that you could go out and look for plants and transplant them to your slope? Oh, yes. i got, I got lots. Lots. All right. Lots wild, Think wild about road. that. Go into the woods and do some eyeball observation and look for plants that seem to grow pretty well on sloping soil and have some ability to make a little thicket. Another plant called sweet shrub is one that grows, I'm sure, wild in the woods up there. And sweet shrub, again, is a suckering plant. It spreads. It goes around to different places. And sweet shrub on your slope might be a good choice, too. And you can dig it up right now and move it and plant it, and it'll be fine. All right. I will be out in the woods all, all day right. looking for it. Right. But remember, if there's any kind of more than gradual part of that slope, anything that has any kind of steepness to it that's eroded, you've got to put something, stones or landscape timbers or something to hold the soil back. And wherever you plant any of these plants, the sweet shrub or anything else, it needs to be amended. You need to put some chicken manure or some uh, composted leaves or some lots of stuff to make the soil brown, not red, not red, not rocky and all that. Okay. All right. Thank you, sir. John, it's great talking to you. Thanks for calling. You're listening to Lawn and Garden, and we'll be right back after news. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves the Lawn and Garden advice you need. And for in-depth news coverage, remember to pick up your Sunday Atlanta Journal-Constitution. All the news and coupon savings comes. Let's say we got uh, Matthew in Bishop, Georgia. Matthew, join us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, fine. Thank you. 
Hey, um, I got some. Uh, I just bought a house that has some really overgrown uh, knockout roses. Got it. And you know, normally I I would prune them in the spring and the and the early fall. Mm. Uh, is it too late to prune them now? I mean, they're mm. eight feet tall. Another one word answer. It is not too late. Today okay. is the day. It's going to be a um, nice time to do it. At any time, I would say. Quite honestly, you having grown knockouts probably before and me having looked at them all over Atlanta, you can prune those suckers anytime you want to prune them. I just wouldn't prune them while they're flowering because they look nice when you prune the flowers off. Uh, it looks ugly. But um, anytime when it's not full of flowers, and that would include the wintertime, it would include the summer when they have a the little break between spring and, and mid to late summer, uh, it is probably not going to hurt them much to prune them okay. anytime you want to. All right, great. Thanks for the answer. Hey, right, man, thanks for calling, Matthew. One of the things you can always do on roses is to take off the, the hips. You know what hips are? Hips are not the things beneath, beneath the belt on your britches here. Uh, hips are the seed pods on roses. Some have the prettier orange and red hips, and some don't have many hips at all. Knockouts don't have many hips on them. But a lot of other varieties of roses do have hips, and they're considered very, very pretty. And if you collect them and want to make a tea out of them, you can. They're high in vitamin C. And they're quite, as I say, sorry, decorative. The birds will eat them if you don't. And so if you want to remove the hips, they can be removed at any time, used for decorations or left for the birds or make the tea out of them. What do you want to do? And if you sort of like that idea, if you look online, you can see pictures of rose hips and decide which varieties you like. There's one in particular that grows up in Maine, called, or well, not Maine, but in Massachusetts, through the northeast, called the Rugosa, R-U-G-O-S-A, Rugosa Rose. And it has gorgeous hips on it, big, fat things. Ooh, they're pretty, pretty, pretty in the wintertime. You're listening to Lawn and Garden, and we'll be right back after news. Satisfied till you're by my side. 